you love you dearly to it. Ah, you see the nicest things. Busting the taboos that surround talking about death, and your own death in particular, has been what Kate Tim and Kate Dyer from Hastings Coffin Club have been all about. So when I heard they were embarking on a new joint project with St Michael's Hospice, I wanted to find out more. So I went along to meet Coffin Club's Kate Tim and Margaret Uden from St Michael's Hospice to hear about what they have planned and what they each hope to get from working together. My name's Stuart Bailey and this is Hastings in Focus. Margot, we've got something quite exciting happening between Coffin Club and St Michael's Hospice in, in March. Oh, we have. It's so exciting. We're so excited. So, which one of you wants to tell me all about it then? Well, why don't you start and then I'll, I'll interrupt you. Oh, okay. Inter- that's un- that's unusual. Kate. I know. Yes. I know. She, she clearly doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> we are forming a lovely partnership with St Michael's Hospice in order to continue to run Coffin Club Hastings. So we're really, really excited about that because it's a, St Michael's being a hospice is a very natural bedfellow for um, Coffin Club. And we will be at the the Arthur Easton Centre, which is in the grounds of the hospice. So it's a beautiful setting. It's a really lovely little community centre. We've got a couple of um, hospice staff members coming and being speakers. So they'll be talking about palliative care and beyond. And it's just going to be brilliant. It's just, yeah, it's a, it's a great thing to do to work together. Mm. So where did the idea come from? Did you approach the hospice or did the hospice approach you or...? We've had a dialogue with the hospice for years, actually, and um, they've always been absolutely lovely. But they're also, you know, it's a very busy organisation, isn't it? You've Mm. got a lot on your plate. We've always had lots of plates spinning. Then I think what happened was COVID, and certainly for Kate and I, that gave us a little bit of space to have a look at what we were doing and really get very organised and one of the things in that because Coffin Club Hastings was suspended because you couldn't meet up obviously we um, went back to the idea of trying to um, hook up with the hospice. What what are you hoping the hospice will get out of this? Well I think um, I mean we're really excited about it there's various I think there's there's obviously the the opportunity to have people come together and talk about what they might like to happen, you know, and hear hear the kind of um, hear about what you can and can't do around um, the final celebration. Um, and I think, but I think beyond that, I think it's a great opportunity to connect with a with local groups and local organisations and local people within the you know within who might not naturally or normally come in there's a bit of that you know how it's 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 drawing the community into the hospice but there's also the reaching out and reaching out and doing collaborations with other groups and other people who are who are in Hastings and St Leonard's. I think that's one of the really interesting things isn't it that there's a huge taboo still Absolutely. around death and dying there's a lot of fear around death and dying and part of coffin clubs 
remit is to break through that mm. to normalize these mm. conversations you know we actually have had several people say to us coffin club is a terrible name <laughs> mm. you know it's really frightening people aren't going to want to come to something called coffin club and we're like actually that's kind of the point that if we can't even say the word coffin exactly because it's so terrifying mm. then you know what hope is there mm. for us people probably have some fear around the hospice mm. you don't um think of it in jolly terms do you, you, you no think... no I think I think the other thing about hospices generally when you work it, it's a bit like you know whatever sector you work in you make this assumption that everybody knows all about you know all about the reality of the sector that you work in but I would suggest that the reality around hospices still is that people think a they, they think the only thing that hospices offer is end of life care as in in your last days of life so there's that misconception because we actually work with people who you know might have a year two years you know to, we basically meet people at the point often where they are living with advanced health issues or a terminal diagnosis but not only that we work with the people that are caring for them and people who are bereaved so I think we have lots of conversations around that but not necessarily I'm really interested in the conversation and about what do you actually want to happen when you die what do you want to happen next in terms of what do you want because often that conversation is left to the people around you rather than the person themselves but the other yeah yeah. and those conversations aren't had and then it's really difficult yeah. for people is there a kind of sort of plug-in that you know the hospice is, is taking people up to the end of their life and then coffin club can sort of come in and take that next step yeah almost? i mean i help them through that at next coffin step. club we our ideal would be like a, a beautiful continuum for everybody that you know from dying to death to funeral to bereavement support was all kind of like a, a lovely, seamless mm. process that they weren't sort of disjointed in the way that they can be because we think if you can make that all a lovely, seamless continuum with support at every step of the way, then your mental health outcomes are going to be so much better. I mean, I think all of this for the hospice and for Coffin Club, what underpins it is about empowering Mm. people, empowering people to have the best experience they can have, you know, towards the end of their life, um, dying and after they are dead Mm. for their family and the people who love them. Mm. You know, that's what underpins the whole thing. Mm. It's certainly always been your message, giving people the information of what's possible and not to think of anything as being impossible. Um, Nothing's impossible, Stuart. It's not a word I have in my vocabulary. <laughs> the other thing I think is that often a lot of the anxiety that people can begin to feel when they're getting towards end of life or even when they're thinking about what might happen. It, so, you know, we're really good at the stuff around symptom control, pain management. We're really good at the sort of conversations with people about sort of spiritual support. But actually there can be a huge amount of anxiety in the practical things. Who's going to take off? I know this isn't what coffin club, but you know, who's going to take care of my dog? You know, what's going to happen? You know, how am I going to talk to my family about what I'd like to, to happen at my funeral? Those are the conversations that often can cause a huge amount of mental health issues, you know, because of anxiety around those, around those things that never get kind of touched upon so something like a I actually think Coffin Club is a great name because it's 
it's you know to me it's, it's fun in a way in a, in a sort of macabre sort of way mm. and it and it and it's kind of stand out so for me the idea of being able to come together in a hospice to talk about the real reality of and the choices that you have what well why would we not want that to happen at the hospice it's a brilliant opportunity well yeah and we have you know from past experience of Coffin Club we know that is exactly what happens those difficult conversations you know Nana comes to Coffin Club and then their child grown-up child or grandchildren say what have you done this week nana and nana says i went to coffin club and then there's a bit of oh, like what's you that? What, coffee <laughs> yeah. club? and then oh what's that and then these conversations happen and we literally have people coming back the next week saying oh my god i talked to my kids it was brilliant mm. we really laughed mm. you know we did have a little shed a little tear mm. which is fine mm. you know and i've told them what i want and they're all happy with it or there's some bits they're not happy with but that's tough um so you know it really... but at least they know that nana wants it whether yeah, they like exactly. it or not yeah. you know and it's, i will die a happy woman if people mm. are having these conversations mm. because mm. it's just it's just great and mm. And it is part of life. We are all going to die. Mm. And we're in this weird sort of, you know, state of mass denial. <laughs> well, yeah, it's cool. yeah, you know, death denial is a big thing. In other parts of the world, people don't approach death in the same way as no, we do not here. At all. And I think, in, you know, even it's even kind of quite... I know when my dad died, he had a he was a very devout Catholic, and there was a Catholic priest at his funeral who, at the wake, was saying to me, "Well, you know, we need to be having much more fun than this. Your dad was great, you know." Mm. And I think there's something where we're very this being able to get together and and discuss it and have some fun probably will make your end of life celebration be a more fun of you know it'll be something where it could be celebrated as well as people being sad mm. but there's nothing wrong with things being fun at the end of life if if you if that's what you want but you are right that you know equally the flip side of that where we have to be incredibly morose like this sorry for your loss um you know if it was my funeral i'm just not that kind of person mm. And whilst I want everybody to be really, really sad because <laughs> because it will be really sad, you know, actually, to look at my life as a whole, you know, I, I do also want the happiness and the the fun and the positivity mm. to be reflected because that would be representative of me, mm. and especially this kind of sort of almost sort of solemnity you know we don't mm. you don't have to put that on you can just you can just still be normal it is sad of course it's and in some cases it's absolutely desperately tragically sad of course but yeah. you can still find the little nuggets, nuggets of what that person mm. was well, one of the things and I know that we've talked about this before that I like about modern funerals compared to funerals of 25, 30 years ago, is the music. Mm. And you were moved away from 23rd Sam and Abide With Me mm. to having music that means something mm. to the person who's died. Yeah. Um, and I, you, it's a very simple thing, but mm. it, it just it just makes the service a little bit more personal. Mm. Oh, completely, mm. completely. You know, and, you know, there's other things like... Um, I quite often like to do a candle ritual where you have a candle that represents a person who's died that one of their family members comes and lights. So that's their light, but burning brightly. 
And then later on in the ceremony, when you're getting towards the end of the ceremony, one of the younger members of the family, so a grandchild might come up and um, they light another candle from that candle and they blow the first candle out. So basically it represents the light carrying mm. on through the younger generations, yep. you know, their legacy. And I, I think that's just really lovely. So mm. you can just, you can put in little twiddly bits that are just lovely. And that, you know, I do that at the crematorium. But then recently but, I did a funeral at a barn setting and it was just beautiful. And you know, the service was about an hour and a half. There were about five different pieces of music, loads of personal tributes, and it didn't even seem long. A whole lifetime, I don't think it's kind of too much to expect people <laughs> to sit for an hour and a half and share in music that was important to you and readings and poetry and a candle ritual and anything else that you want. You also find so much out about people at funerals that you didn't know. Mm. Um, you know again, from, from, a, from a good eulogy, um, yeah. you will find out things that people have done and you've, you've known them for something but you didn't know them for those other elements of their lives. And, and I, think, I think that's something that's really nice to bring out. And as you say, if you've got time to do that and to discuss it. Yeah, it's just mm. brilliant. And, mm. you know, in a different setting, which is atmospherically mm. very different to the mm. crematorium, it's great. And mm. these are the things that we want to tell people at the mm. club because they don't know. They don't know that they mm. can be somewhere else doing other stuff. Going back to St Michael's Hospice, mm. I mean, one of the things that's fascinated me, and I'm sure inflation's probably taken hold, but... I think the last time I looked, it was, you need to raise something like £12,000 a day just to keep for one ticking day. over. Mm. Yeah, because it costs a lot. It's a lot of, yeah, yeah, just to keep ticking. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Um, so that engagement, with the, engaging with the community in, in these mm, sort of ways mm, yeah. is important to keep the profile. There, it is. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I think any any setting, I, I think people don't realise that any clinical setting where you're you've got you know, inpatient units, and that it, it's a, it has a huge it's, it has a huge cost yeah. attached to it. Biggest opportunity for us by collaborating with other groups, and and certainly in the case of Coffin, Coffin Club, is about bringing the conversation about death, dying, and loss right, you know, right up to the form, and making people feel really comfortable and relaxed about that conversation. Raising the awareness around what hospices do, which isn't hospices are not buildings. Hospices are about death, dying and loss in the community and how we can best work alongside and support people at those difficult times in their lives. And that's not necessarily just through clinical services, that's through you know, community projects, it's through volunteer support in the community, it's through people coming together to have discussions. It's, you know, it's, it's about kind of empowering people in the community to feel more equipped. And then of course, there's the opportunity to let people know that there is a cost attached to you know running any kind of charitable organisation. You know, it's not a low cost affair running running a hospice. You get a small amount of statutory funding, and the rest of it is all done through income That's generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most people actually want to die at home. To be honest, still that's still people's preferred place of, of, of death. A lot of the work that I'm doing around sort of building a compassionate community, which is kind of like a, a you know, it's it's this idea of how do you bring the community together even more to, to show compassion and kindness and, and um, at, you know, at difficult times in people's lives. But 
that a lot of what I'm doing is reaching out, but there's also something up, like exactly like you say about bringing the community in, mm. so that the hospice is seen as a community hub. That's a, that's a really important thing for us to be able to do. It's a great facility. It's got those great gardens. Yeah, it's got the, the Arthur Easton Centre. And the chapel. It's got the chapel. Beautiful. There's all sorts of opportunities. But you do some fascinating fundraisers as well. Again, I think this goes back pre-COVID, but I think you were looking for people to get involved in a trek across yeah, the Yeah, we've done that. People um, jumping out of things, yes. climbing up things, Absaining, rolling around in things. things. Yeah, 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 yeah. And people do, and it is great. And we, you know, this year. Already, I think we've got people who are going to be in the London, you know, in the marathon. We've got people doing extreme sort of challenges. I think someone's going to walk across the, you know, across the pillar and knees. So, so people engage very well in the community to raise money, and that is fabulous. But we also want to build on people engaging with each other in the community too yeah. to be supportive at difficult times in their lives because, you know, um, it's not, it's not it's not anything complicated and it happens all the time and the other thing we did see in covid was people getting together and going right there's mary at the end of the street who hasn't got anyone getting her yeah. prescription and, yeah. and we want to kind of intentionalize that a bit mm. and make that something that people continue to do naturally for mm. each other you know when 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 people are at difficult times in their lives because we know that there are so many people that are lonely and isolated in our community mm. who we're not reaching and that's linked that's a health issue mm. and it's also when people get towards end of life that can be you know really difficult for them to reach out and get the support that they need and mm. people are still living until they die which is why these conversations are so important mm. you know yeah so the three sessions that you, you you're running they will yeah. be typical coffin club type they sessions. are we've slightly changed the format so that we're going to do it in three weeks and we're going to have two speakers per week and we're going to separate the coffin decorating. Um, the reason being was that we found as people came and they worked through their funeral wish list and they found out loads of stuff, they kind of um, sometimes had buyer's remorse over their coffin. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, oh, I could have a shroud or oh, oh really? I could be given to medical science and I wouldn't need a coffin. So. Um, we thought mm, maybe they should actually do the course, they should find out all the information, they should digest that, and then if they go, yeah, no, I really do want to buy a coffin and decorate it, if we've got enough interest, we'll hold a separate coffin decorating workshop um, over a weekend on a another occasion. So that was why um, we've kind of changed it. But um, other than that, the format is the same same in that um we've still got you know the same motley crew of uh, speakers so there'll be a local funeral director there'll be um the fabulous claire power who she's wonderful she's wonderful yeah she basically she did a family-led funeral she kept her husband's body at home she bought a coffin off the internet she transported him in, in yeah her daughter's estate car um, she didn't use a funeral director at all and she did everything for under a thousand pounds. That's going to be great. Mm. Remind me of the dates again. So the dates. Now, because it's us, Stuart, it's a little bit quirky. Never. So, <laughs> so the first week is a Thursday and then the following two weeks are a Wednesday. Just because we like to keep people on their toes. <laughs> so it's Thursday the 17th of March then it's Wednesday the 23rd and then Wednesday the 30th. 
It's 9.30 to 12.30 at the Arthur Eastern Centre at St Michael's Hospice on Mays Hill. And if people want to come along, how do they register their interest or how do they sign up? So they can book on by going to our website www.coffinclub.co.uk click on the the link that says I'd like to go to a club near me and then choose Hastings and then you can book on. Um, The course is £99 um, for the three weeks and the crematorium tour is also thrown in when that happens um, there'll be a separate charge for the coffin decorating if anybody wishes to do that yeah, if yeah. people don't have um, the internet they can give me a ring on 07 985 